sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's been good to be here singing the songs. And I enjoyed it very much. And we welcome everyone. The house is well filled. <clears throat> The subject that I have chosen to speak on this morning, it's a very common subject, but it's a very important subject, probably one of the most important things that we have to do with, and it's about God's forgiveness. It's nothing new, we've heard it so often, and that's probably a downside. Well, I don't know if I'd say a downside. We need to hear it often. But it tends to become commonplace. That's just the way we are as humans. We hear things over and over, it becomes commonplace, and we no longer cherish it like we should. The fact that we have a God who forgives our sins is one of the most amazing and precious things, precious things in heaven and earth. but we don't quite grasp it like we should. It's a matter of life and death, isn't it? If we wouldn't have a God who forgives sins, there would only be one destiny for all of us, eternal death. And I wish I would be able to give this subject the proper attention and glory and really bring it out so everybody is so amazed with the forgiveness of God. But I don't think that's going to happen. I shouldn't be a pessimist, maybe, but... Because as I was thinking about it, we probably never will understand it as long as we are in this life. The greatness of God's forgiveness. We can't understand the depth of our sin and what it actually cost God to forgive our sins. When we get to heaven and see things the way God sees them, then I think it will take all eternity to glorify God for his his forgiveness. And since it's such a common subject and we begin not giving it the attention we should, it's easy to fall into some wrong attitudes about it, just some wrong thought patterns, such as we begin to expect it from God as if he was obligated to forgive us. You know, God said that I will forgive all your sins. So, well, God, you said it, so you're obligated to forgive us. Well, that's not the attitude that we need to have. Or perhaps we begin to think of God's forgiveness as just overlooking sin. You know, ah, it wasn't that bad anyway. Just forget about it. It's just a little thing. Is that the way God looks at it? I don't think so, but we tend to look that way. 
It was just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. And then we become careless about avoiding sin because God's going to forgive us anyway. And another thing is that we often don't think about it, how costly forgiveness is for God. We compare God's forgiveness to us the same way as we forgive other people. What does it cost us to forgive other people? Maybe a little bit, but not near what it cost God to forgive us. <clears throat> thought to start with, I would look at the greatness of God, because if we understand the greatness of God and our own unworthiness, maybe it will help us to understand his forgiveness a little better. Well, first of all, he is the creator. If we go back to Genesis 1 and read that account there, he said a num numerous times, he said, let there be, and it was so. Just whatever he wanted to make, let there be this, and it was so. He didn't need to come up with some mixture of dust and ashes and atmosphere and whatever else and go through some ritual to make things. All he did was say it and it happened. Amazing power. If we would read that for the first time, wouldn't we be totally amazed at the power of God? And we have to believe it because if we look out at nature around us, the trees and the grass and the sky and the water and everything, animals, that's proof that that's what happened. It had to be power like that that did it. <clears throat> but if we keep reading, we notice that when he made man, he took extra care. He didn't just say, let there be man, and there was man. He took some special pains to make man just right. I'm going to read a little part of it there in Genesis 2. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So we see the special effort that God put forth in making man. He formed him of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. <clears throat> and then when he made Eve, he took a rib from Adam. I don't know how he did all that, but he made a woman. He took special effort. And not only that, but he also made a special place for man. He planted a garden eastward in Eden. It wasn't, even though the rest of the world was beautiful, I think the garden was especially beautiful because he wanted to put man there. <clears throat> he made man and then he took him into the garden.
to show him that he loves him and he has a special place for him. So, even the fact that God created the world would make him so much better than the world, but the way that he took special pains to make us makes us even more special, and if we mess up, how could he forgive us? And then he also gave them a command, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because that would be sin, and if you sin, you die. So that's one aspect of God's greatness. Another one is that he is holy. What does it mean to be holy? I don't know that I have all the right words to describe holy. Pure and blameless, sinless, consecrated, sacred. It says somewhere in the Bible that God cannot be tempted of evil. He can't even be tempted by evil. Now, what would that be like? It has absolutely no power to sway him. So how can he forgive people that are tempted with evil, people that are caught up in sin? A great God that is holy, how could he forgive? God is also all-knowing and everywhere present. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with with whom we have to do. So God knows all about us. There is no place that we can hide from God. There is no thought that we can hide from God. God knows all our thoughts. He even knows the intents behind the thoughts that we don't know ourselves. Because there's sometimes some things that affect us and influence us that we aren't even aware of. Some of the uh, wicked tendencies within us influence our thoughts and our actions. And God knows all about that. Could a God that knows all our evil thoughts and actions forgive? And the answer is yes, God does forgive. It says, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So why would forgiveness cause us to fear God? I think it's talking about honor. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be honored and reverenced. We all know that if the Lord would mark iniquities, none of us would stand wouldn't stand a chance, but there is forgiveness. And here's a number of other verses that talk about God's forgiveness. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And this is what God says about himself, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
and that w- and that will by no means clear the guilty. <clears throat> to the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And I'm sure there's many other verses that we could read that would talk about God's forgiveness to us. It's all through the Bible. God wants to make sure that we understand that. And as we look at all these things, I believe we could say that forgiveness is who God is. That's his nature. It's what he does. He is willing and ready to forgive any iniquity, any sin, any rebellion. In 1 John 2.13 was a verse that I found interesting. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He forgives us for his name's sake. It's an honor to him to forgive. How do we think about it when we forgive? Do we look at it as an honor to forgive people? Or do we do it because we have to? That's more the way we look at it. We have to forgive because we've been trespassed against. Well, God doesn't look at it that way. It's an honor to him to forgive. That was kind of a new thought to me. And there's other verses that bring that that same thought out. Forgive for your name's sake. But his forgiveness is very costly to him. It cost him the life of his son. The penalty for every sin demands death. You know, we've read that often. If you sin, you die. There needs to be bloodshed to forgive sin. So God did what, it need, what needed to be done so he could forgive. It cost him the life of his son. <clears throat> so why again did he do that? Why did he go to that much bother to make sure that he could forgive us? Because he wanted to so badly. That was his desire to forgive us. <clears throat> What does our forgiveness to each other cost in comparison to what God did for us, what it cost him? Are we willing to go to that much expense to forgive other people? We fall far short in comparison to what God did. In Luke 24:34, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here was the Creator being horribly horribly mistreated by His creation, and yet saying, Forgive them, Father. There again, His desire to forgive came out. Another thing about God's God's forgiveness is it is a deliberate thing. It's not something that, well, I'm not going to bother too much about it today. I'll just forgive you and go on. 
No, God's forgiveness is deliberate. He makes a choice to forgive us everything that we have done wrong. Every time we come to ask for forgiveness, it's a deliberate choice. And it also proves his love. And when he forgives us, it delivers us from all guilt of our sin. There's no more payment required. It's not just half paid, and we need to work really hard to get the rest paid. It's all paid. We are restored to perfection like Adam and Eve were at the beginning. It's difficult for me to really understand how how we can be so perfect through God's forgiveness. But it takes care of everything. The blood of Christ forgives all our sins. And then what about the angels. It says in 2 Peter 2.4, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. He offered no repentance to the angels, no forgiveness. When they sinned, that was the end. And in Hebrews, it says that we are made a little lower than the angels. So why would God forgive us if he didn't the angels? Why did God spare us? I don't know. But I think it should, as we think about that, cause us to keep our foot when we go into the house of the Lord. Like it says there in Ecclesiastes. Walk carefully. Don't take it for granted. Realize that it is totally God's doing that offers us forgiveness. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That pretty much for sure includes every one of us, doesn't it? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why we need forgiveness. We have no other option but to depend on God's forgiveness. We can't earn it. There's nothing else we can do. If it wasn't for for God's forgiveness, yeah, we would all be content to die. So what does it take to have our sins forgiven? It's not just an automatic thing that God automatically forgives our sins no matter what we do. Romans 2.4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? And long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So we can't even come to repentance by ourselves. It is only as God draws us. We can't come to the realization of our sin by ourselves. So God does everything for us, doesn't he? He draws us to himself and brings about a conviction of sin. In... uh, Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So once God brings us to repentance, and we do repent, we can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and have our sins remitted. Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it takes repentance, it takes believing in Jesus, it takes confessing with our mouth. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing is basically agreeing with God's idea of our sin. God says, you have sinned, you have sinned. And when we confess, we agree with God. Yes, I have sinned. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so what about if we sin over and over again? God has forgiven our sins. And then we sin again. And again. What happens then? Does he forgive us again? Does he forgive us but withhold his trust? Oh, I don't trust you anymore. I'll forgive you, but I don't trust you anymore. Because you kept on sinning. There is no indication in any scripture that God does not completely forgive us when we confess our sins. Even if we have done them before. Is that the way we are when somebody comes to us? Peter had that same question. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. I think I'll read that. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So Peter thought there should be a limit on forgiveness. It's pretty hard work to forgive. You know, I could maybe do it seven times, but that's about it. After that, then I don't need to forgive. In fact, I can probably take some revenge. Is that the way God looks at it? No. Jesus told him clearly that there's no limit on forgiveness. That's the way God is and that's the way we're supposed to be. Till 70 times 7. And then he went on and told this parable about what the kingdom of God is like and how God forgives. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon... One was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. 
And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came out came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. This is quite a story, and it displays very accurately what God's idea of forgiveness is like. The fact that the servant owed 10,000 talents, that... I don't know how many dollars worth that is. It varies according to who you talk to or read, probably. But it was a number that was probably in the billions, totally impossible for this man to ever pay. But he was going to try, even though it was worthless. But the Lord forgave him. The king forgave him. This tells us about God's forgiveness is that it has no limit. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins and repent, like this servant did, he fell down and worshipped him, and the Lord had compassion. And again, our debt before God is impossible to pay. No matter how hard we try, we can never repay the debt we owe to God. And the other thing is that God's forgiveness is totally his own choice. I don't know how many servants this king had. sounded like there was a number of them that came before the king to see how much debt they owed. And I don't know if he forgave them all or not, but he forgave this man. And we need to look at God's forgiveness in the same way. Not that he might forgive and he might not, but the forgiveness was totally God's choice. It wasn't because the servant begged him to. It was nothing the servant could do but depend on his king's mercy. And truly, we have great mercy in our God. And then as we read further, we see how this servant didn't take this lesson to heart, but he found another one person that owed him a hundred pence, which is probably, let's say it's a dollar's worth, a hundred pennies worth. In comparison, that's what it was. And he would not forgive him. So it's trying to bring out here that any trespass against us is microscopic compared to what we owe God and must be forgiven. Do we really understand how microscopic our trespasses are that come against us compared to what we have done with God? Probably not, but 
hopefully we can still take it to heart and realize that we really have no claims against our brother. They have not cost us anything to forgive, have they? So that concludes my message. Let us earnestly consider God's forgiveness and follow his example.